The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. Just spend a moment in prayer. Just spend a moment yourself. Just turning your eyes again to Jesus. We had a beautiful time in worship. And we want to continue to encounter him. So even if you can, just open up your hands and just say, Lord Jesus, we welcome you. Lord, I desire you. Lord, open our ears to hear you this morning. Open our eyes to see you. Open our hearts to know you much more deeply. And speak. Lord God, shake us up if need be. Shake up our hearts. Shake up your church. Shake up this city for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, uh, thank you for welcoming me again. It wasn't that long ago I was here uh, on a beautiful morning with multiple baptisms in, back in December. And I had a short moment just to greet you guys and, and begin to share some of what's happening with Kizzy and I and the journey that the Lord's taking us on. I'm just giving you a few headlines once again. Um, but we're in a bit of a transitional phase as a family. We've been living and working in Portugal. And we have been uh, building a house of prayer, planting a house church. And uh, it's, been a, it's been a great season for us, for family. It's been challenges along the way. So it's been a good season. Um, but God is bringing change. And uh, by, by His grace, He's leading us on a journey um, this year, our landlady is to sell our house. Yeah, so um, yeah, on this journey of, of transition, and we, we moved out of our house this week, on the same week that Kizzy unfortunately hurt her ankle. Uh, so it's been a wild week, uh, trusting in the grace of God to keep us going and to travel and so forth. But we're here for a couple of weeks, and God is directing us to spend some months working in Barbados, um, that's where Kizzy's mum was born. So there's family relationships there. There's ministry relationships there. And having taken a trip four years ago, we felt that God was saying to return for a season. And uh, we go in there with a simple, I say, I'd say, cry on our hearts. We're asking the Lord for the nation of Barbados. Not for ourselves, but for Jesus. We're asking for the nation. And I believe when you ask for a nation, you join with the heart cry of Jesus. You join, and what we're seeking through is to joining other believers who are praying and seeking the Lord, who are doing evangelism, uh, who are also asking God to take the nation of Barbados for himself. And uh, in doing that, we're praying that people be saved. We're praying that uh, institutions be transformed. We're praying that uh, the people of God surrender their hearts to him. Um, sometimes it's easy to take a small 
a smaller nation and feel a little bit more like, okay, that's uh, maybe just as you think of a, of a nation that's a little bit smaller. Barbados is about 250,000 people, so uh, not much, about the same size as Bromley Borough. Um, and uh, it takes about three hours-ish to drive around, so it's a bit bigger than Bromley Borough. Um, but uh, it's a small nation. Uh, there are 12 kind of wards like you have in Bromley. Uh, and uh, we're going there with a, with a mission to come alongside people and pray for that land and that nation. Um, and we're praying that the nation be discipled. We're praying that the kingdom of God will come and reign over that land with truth and justice. And does that not sound good? That's what we desire. That's what we long for. It's what we long for here in Bromley. It's what we long for the United Kingdom. Um, and this morning, I want to talk a little bit about what that might look like. What does it look like for the kingdom of God to come in? And how do we participate in seeing Christ, our King, reign over the land? So I've called this message, My King and His Kingdom. If you have a Bible... Um, I'd like you to turn to Psalm 2. We're not going to read it quite yet, um, but that's going to be our main text for this morning. And uh, I want us to begin to think about, we were singing already about our King being Jesus. And uh, I want to, as we just prepare that, uh, just some of you will know this conversation. And every so often in Scripture, I think you get a window into just some of the most amazing conversations that took place in history. And one of those conversations takes place in John chapter 18 between Jesus and Pilate. Um, and we're given the context of a conversation that they take place. And I want you to remember this is the moment the crowd are, are baying for blood outside the court. They're crying out for Jesus to be crucified. And Pilate, in this tension and pressure, this boiling pot of uh, activity, he brings Jesus inside to have this one-to-one -one conversation between the two of them. And in the midst of that conversation, the question simply is this, are you a king? That's what Pilate wants to know. He says, are you the king of the Jews? And I just think about this. You have an earthly ruler. You have someone who has power on earth to send someone to be crucified or to send them to be whipped and beaten or to send someone to prison. He has earthly power and the people will do what he wants to say. And he's standing before the king of kings and the lord of lords in that moment. And the conversation uh, uh, goes, I'm going to share a little bit, but they have a second conversation later when Jesus actually says to Pilate, you would have no authority over me if it were not given to you from above. So you have this kind of like almost a power game, but I don't think Jesus participates in that sort of thing because he knows who he is and he knows uh, what he's come to do. But here we find in John chapter 18, um, the words will come up for this scripture, I think, from verse 37. Jesus has already expressed, look, I, I am a king. He says this, um, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born. And for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. 
everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So he's saying clearly to the people, he's saying, I am a king. He's saying it to Pilate, uh, so he knows this in this moment. And it's echoed to us through scripture that Jesus says clearly, I am a king, but he was born for this cause, what was about to take place, what he was going to do. He was going to surrender himself to the hands of Pilate's people, and he was going to be marched up a hill onto Calvary. But he says this, my kingdom is not of this world. You have this world, and you have Christ's kingdom, and they are at odds with one another. There is a battle raging between the two. There's warring around us and even warring inside of us between Christ's kingdom and the kingdom of this world. And they cannot uh, fully comprehend one another. One has power over the other. And when you consider this world, and we know what it is like, we know of the warring and the rebellion. We know of the sin and the pain and the injustice. And essentially, I would say this. You have the kingdom of Christ where people are submitted to him as king. And you have the kingdom of this world where people are in rebellion to the Jesus, our king. And when we think of the world, we think of a rebellious world. We think of all that we do outside of Christ's lordship, and that is rebellion to him. It's maybe one way of just explaining what sin is. Anything that we do outside of the will of King Jesus is sin. And that is what our world is fully um, participating in. Anything contrary to God's will is sin. And therefore we see how broken the kingdom of this world is. And as we were singing earlier, we have a kingdom that is coming because we have a king who is coming. And his name is Jesus. And when Jesus comes, he comes to establish his kingdom. He comes with a message to announce his kingdom. Uh, right at the beginning of his ministry, we know that when Jesus comes again, that's when his kingdom is coming with finality to be established forever. But when Jesus came on earth, he came with the message. The kingdom of God is at hand. You see it in Mark chapter 1. His first messages as he's going out to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God is simply this. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. His first message, there is a kingdom that is coming. It's at hand. It's coming forth. And so Jesus carried this message, but he also commanded his disciples or anyone that wanted to follow him to also carry the same message. In one instance, a man came to Jesus and said, I want to follow you. And uh, he said, but first, let me go and bury my father. But Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. So there's a message that we need to carry. We carry the message of the kingdom of God. In Matthew 6, 33, perhaps the most well-known 
words of the kingdom are, are written in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these shall be added to you. There is a king, and his kingdom is coming. His kingdom is coming, and nobody and no one can stop it. His kingdom is coming, and even in the last words of, well, the penultimate verse of the last words of the Bible, in Revelation 22, 20, um, John writes, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. And John says, Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. John agrees in Revelation with Jesus' declaration, I am coming quickly. He says amen to that. And I just have a question for you this morning. When you think of Jesus' imminent arrival, when Jesus perhaps says to you, surely I'm coming quickly, would you say amen? Come. Would you have to put stuff in order? Would you have to sort out some things before he comes? We've had a week of moving house. We've had lots of things to sort out. But what about your own personal life, your own situations? If Jesus says, I'm coming now, are you ready? Are you ready to receive him? So in the midst of that, I guess, is a bit of a prelude, thinking about the coming king, Jesus king, the battle between his kingdom and the kingdom of this world, thinking about a rebellious world who is anti-Christ and does not want to surrender to him, let's turn to Psalm 2. Psalm 2 um, is described by Spurgeon as a four-part play. And uh, it's almost like it's split, it's 12 verses, and it's split into four parts. So each three verses is almost like three, uh, four different voices and perspectives taking place. So I'm just going to share that as... So as we read it, you'll see it take place, okay? So the first section, um, verses 1 to 3, is um, the psalmist perspective of what's happening in the world. And then the second part is the Father's response in heaven. The third part is the Son's instructions. And then the last part is the instructions for the people in response. So here we are. The first part is the world. And the psalmist writes, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. So this is the father's response, verse 4. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill in Zion. The third part is the son's instructions. It says this, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me. And I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. 
And then this is for the people and the leaders to respond. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are those who put their trust in him. So, first part uh, this morning, I guess, is this phrase, I have set my king. In the midst, and I, you know, for me, when I look at what's taking place on a global scale, the politics, the warring, the troubles, what do I see? I see a nation that nations are raging. When you see people marching on the streets in anger, in rebellion, um, when you see battling and fighting and racism and injustice, I see nations raging. And I simply see that sin reigns throughout the earth. People who are fighting against God's order, God's ways, God's instructions. You see a people who are angry with one another. And here in uh, verse 3 of Psalm 2, they're saying this declaration, let us break their bonds in pieces. When it's speaking of these bonds or these cords it speaks of, it's almost like if God's will for our lives, maybe we find it in, simply in the scripture, they are a direction for us to keep us on course to live a good and blessed life with God. But people who reject God see the word as bonds, as something that will keep me from doing what I want. And they want to break themselves free. I want to live my way. I do want to be beholden to what a superior power desires of me. So we see this in anyone who's making decisions. It says against the Lord and against his anointed, they seek to go their own way. I think you see it in the garden up until today. I will choose to live how I want to live. Don't tell me how to live my life. Have you heard people say that? These are people all around us that want to live their own way, rejecting the kingship of Jesus. And it's easy to look at the world and feel despair. It's easy to look at the challenges that we see all around us, the challenges of life, the challenges and the struggles. We look at what's taking place in the Middle East. What are the answers? We look what's taking place in parts of um, you know, nations that are perhaps are warring that we don't really hear about in the news because they don't seem to affect us. They don't affect our economy, perhaps. But there are nations at war and have been at war for years and there are struggles and pains, and you think, what is going to happen to us? What is going to become of this world with the bloodshed, the suffering, the pain? And it's easy to fall into hopelessness. But I want to tell you this morning, our king is not hopeless. The Lord is not surprised by anything. He's not surprised by the heart of man. He's never on the back foot and God is never worried or anxious. What do we see in the scripture? The Lord laughs. The Lord laughs at man's attempts to reject his will and build kingdoms for themselves. 
the father says, I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. There's no democracy in heaven. We like to think that democracy is the best way to do politics. It's better than perhaps some other ways. It's not great though, is it? I don't know. Um, what if the world, the world voted? Would Jesus be king? No. The same hill that the father says he set his king is the hill where Jesus died. The people voted at Calvary. Crucify him. On the very mountain that the king of kings has been set, his holy hill, that's where Jesus died. But Jesus has been established as king forever. He cannot be removed. It is an everlasting kingdom. His kingdom is not of this world, but his kingdom is coming to this world. And his kingdom will never end. So even when Jesus was teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, and he's talking about worry, talking about anxiety, and maybe you feel that despair when you look at the world today, Jesus says, do not worry. And I'm, you know, I'm bringing this all together in a, in a little phrase, I guess. But he says, don't worry about all that stuff. Seek first the kingdom and my righteousness. With Jesus, there's no concern over what is to come because he already has the victory. And the victory was won at the cross. So even as the king of kings, Jesus Christ, stood before Pilate, he was not worried. The first time he stood before him, having been arrested and questioned through the night, the second time he stood before Pilate, he'd been beaten and scourged. and He had the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And even as he stood there, humbled before Pilate, he knew that victory was just around the corner. He just knew that victory was at the top of that holy hill. And that moment of history signaled that the kingdom of this world is coming to an end. And the kingdom of God is going to be established. It is inevitable. On the cross, when Jesus died, we can say, that moment was the announcement. Not only is the kingdom of God at hand, but it is coming forever. Because that is the purpose for which the king came. He said, I've come for this cause. He's come to die that we might live. He's come not just for each one of us. He's come for all creation. All creation that is raging, that is tainted, that is broken, that is perishing. He came to resurrect the, the creation that God has made. In fact, all that is good that God made, he's come to resurrect. So how do we respond to this king who's been set 
forever. What do we do? Well, we're going to jump to the last part, the last section of Psalm 2, where it has these simple words that I think sums it up perfectly. What do we do? We kiss the Son. Verse 12. Kiss the Son. Bow. We humble ourselves before him. We choose to become his subjects. We serve him. You know, when I think of these words, kiss the son, I think of the woman with the alabaster jar, just washing his feet and drying it with her hair. We choose to love him. Sometimes I think it's hard to think of Christ the king and then have the example of earthly kings. And we can get lost in the kind of men that we've been given as rulers on the earth. But Christ the king is different. He calls us simply to love him, to worship him, to embrace him, to accept him. To welcome him. Blessed are those who put their trust in him. So what is your posture before the king? What is your position before him? Does he rule? Does he rule your life? Do you love him? Do you love your king? Do you fully and completely trust him? Going his way, even if the path he's calling you into looks harder. Even if obeying him is going to put you out of your comfort zone and make you not feel as happy in and of yourself. You know, what does it mean for him to be king? It means to be submitted and yielded and fully walking with him. To say, I am his subject, but to say, I won't do that today, I'll do it tomorrow, is not right. He's king, and he knows what's best, and he does what's best, and he is for us, not against us. To make Jesus king is to die to self and to live for him. You know, Jesus, even in his conversation with Pilate, he says, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Do you hear his voice and do you walk in his truth? To be in the kingdom, we first submit to the king. And I'm convinced that the way we first ourselves begin to comprehend what it's like to expand the kingdom, to see the increase of the kingdom, the first thing we first must do is ourselves come under his authority to say, I am his. Even now as I'm speaking, some of you can be saying once again, Jesus, be my king. Jesus, help me to surrender to your lordship. Help me to surrender to your voice. Help me to, to walk your ways. The extent to which we surrender to the will of God to the voice of God, to the prompting of the Holy Spirit determines how much we can be a part of extending 
his rule on the earth. Um, I also watched when Scott McNamara came here to share on evangelism the other day, and I think that um, listening to him, that you know, the biggest thing I heard was just like, let the Holy Spirit lead. Don't try and do it yourself. Come under the authority of God and go where he's leading. Make Jesus king. Choose to follow him. Choose to need him rather than leading your own way and doing it with your own strength. Jesus himself said, blessed are the poor in spirit. That, those words, poor in spirit, simply means those who know their need of him. Blessed are those who know their need of him, for theirs is the kingdom of God. People were asking Jesus in Luke 17, when is your kingdom coming? And what's it going to look like? When are we going to see it? And Jesus says, um, and I'm cutting in the midst of the conversation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within those who are submitted to the king. It's ours for those who are needy, for those who accept him, for those who trust him. The kingdom of God is wherever a soul is submitted to the king. So even when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, maybe we can start also be simply praying, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done in me as you see fit. It starts with us always. And the increase of the kingdom is one by one. The kingdom comes as one soul after one soul submits their life to the king. And this is where discipleship kind of comes together with the coming kingdom. Nations are saved one by one. One life after one life surrendering to Jesus. There's a ministry that Kizzy and I have done some work with and training with called Iris, and they have this simple phrase. It says, stop for the one, believe for the multitude. We have a heart for a nation to be saved. A nation is saved one by one. As we submit to Jesus and we show people who Jesus is and help them submit to Jesus, the kingdom is coming within us. And it's building and increasing on the earth. Even as Jesus gave the great commission to the disciples just before he rose back, into, uh, ascended into heaven. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Have you ever thought about this and be like, I know we're called to preach the gospel. What does it mean to disciple a nation? Well, simply this, this is where the one by one meets the multitude. One by one, we're making disciples. And as we make disciples, disciples shape the direction of nations. Just as you and I belong to Jesus, the nations belong to Jesus. And this is where I want to kind of land with a third point this morning. We ask for the nations. And to do so, we're 
Still in Psalm 2, but we're going back to the third part. This is where, I guess, the Father is speaking um, firstly and then giving instructions to the Son. He says, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my Son. Today I have begotten you. There's an echoing of those words later when Jesus is born. Verse 8, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. This is strange to me. God is saying to God, the Father is saying to the Son, ask of me and I will give you what belongs to you. You see that? Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. Why does God do that? Well, I think it's a picture of intercession. It's a picture of prayer. It's for all of us. God has things he desires to give us that are already ours. But he invites us to ask him for them. Jesus is the great intercessor and he continues to be. So when we pray, we seek God, we're asking God. You know, we're praying for people, we're praying for nations. We're praying for the people that already are his, for the nations that already are his. It's that picture of intercession taking place. But remember, Jesus is still interceding even today. Romans 8.34 says, Jesus is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Hebrews 7.24, we learn that Jesus always lives to intercede. And here we see in Psalm 2 this picture. The nations are yours. They are your inheritance. They belong to you. But I am inviting you into that relationship to ask of me and I will give them to you. When I think of Jesus interceding now and knowing that the nations are each and every one of us, I believe he's asking even for us today. Jesus is interceding for you today and he's asking the Father for you. One by one, Jesus is speaking on my behalf, on your behalf. Give to Johnny what he does not deserve. Life, freedom from fear, wholeness, healing. But there's even more than that. As he's speaking those things over you, he's inviting us to share in his inheritance. Romans eighteen seventeen says, we are joint heirs with Jesus. So when we join with Jesus and we pray and ask for the nations, we're joining our hearts with his heart. I want you to just think for a moment, who are the people? Who are the, which are the nations that God has called you to intercede for? I mean, for those of you that live in Bromley, we know that God calls you to pray for the city in which you live in, the town you live in. 
So we know that's part of it, but there could be more. There are nations that belong to Jesus that are currently rejecting him as king. And we want to bring them under his lordship as we pray for individuals and we pray for nations. So who are you asking for? Which nation are you asking for? God's kingdom advances through his surrendered subjects agreeing with him, saying yes to him. The nations are yours. I guess I want to invite the band back. Um, but I would like for there to be some response for you this morning. Firstly, is Jesus king? Have you come under his lordship fully, completely? His kingdom advances through those surrendered vessels. And who are the individuals that God has called you to intercede for? The advance of his kingdom takes place through this intercession. We're praying for the ones that already belong to Jesus to come into Jesus' possession. We're praying for the ones that Jesus already died for on that holy hill. He died for them, had them in mind, and yet they've not yet submitted to him as king. Who are those that you are asking for? And you're joining in with the intercessor, Jesus Christ, in asking for them. What are the nations? I haven't spoken much about what God's been saying to Kizzy and I about Barbados, other than the fact that he's given us a nation in this next season of life, this assignment that we're on for three months. We're going to ask God for a nation. We're going to pray. We're going to come into alignment. And we're going to join those that are seeking his face for the nation to be saved. Is there a nation that you know that God has put on your heart, but you've neglected perhaps to pray for? And God's saying, you need to take time. Let me just begin to pray. Why don't you take a position of prayer, whether you want to stand or kneel or sit, but open your heart to the Father. We just declare Jesus. We said it already. We we sung it earlier, Jesus be king. Let that one name on our lips, Jesus be king. Let those words not fall empty. Let them have truth in our hearts. Jesus be king. Jesus be our king. Let us confess you as king. Let us kneel before you as king. Let us kiss the Son. You're a king who invites us close. You're not a king who has to keep people uh, far from you, has security around you, that no one can approach you. You're not like the kings of old. You're not like the kings of today. You are the king of kings and the king forever, and you will reign forever and ever. And you are a king who invites us close. How close that we can kiss your feet, that we can worship you and we can love you. And I pray, Lord God, for everyone. Lord, help us to submit to the king. 
Help us to yield to the King. Help us to love the King. Help us to trust the King. Help us to hold fast to the King. You are the King that we've always needed. You're the King that can only set us free. You're the only one who can deliver us from this dark world. You're the only one who can bring us into the kingdom of the Son. And we want to worship you with all our hearts. We want to worship you with all we have. We want to worship you with everything that is within us because you are worthy. You're worthy of our lives. You're worthy of our hearts. You're worthy of everything. And we want to worship you. And Jesus, we want to carry the heart of the intercessor that you carry. We want to see the advance of your kingdom because your kingdom is truth. Your kingdom is life. Your kingdom brings peace. Your kingdom brings hope. Your kingdom brings what this world needs. The world is hurting and broken. The only solution is Jesus. And we want to see the kingdom of Jesus Christ advance on the earth. One life after one life. One soul after one soul. So we want to bring these souls before you even now. Jesus, who have you called us to pray for? Jesus, what nations have you put in our hearts? Lord, we want to be involved in building your kingdom here. So Jesus, help us by your grace. Lord, we are the poor in spirit. We know we need you. We want to go your way. We want to reject this world and to follow the King of Kings. We want to reject the flesh, and all that the world might offer that will bring us out of your will. We want to go your way. Holy Spirit, lead us. Let your voice guide us. Let us go your way. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com